Yo, our good friends over at Westway Nissan have got a flash sale going on at the moment. It is not lasting forever, okay? And when I say at the moment, this is at the moment being the 29th September, the release date of this podcast, okay? They've got 0% finance going on over 36 months, which is uh, 0% finance for 36 months, which is um, which is on the ball, that's on, on new purchases. So, for example... Well, there's all sorts of bolt-ons actually with it. For example, if you were to go and buy a Nissan X-Trail, it's just an example, 1.6 DCI Tecna two-wheel drive manual, you'd get a saving of £2,149, but you'd also get a four and a half grand deposit contribution, which is absolutely superb, right? You can get more information on that by going to westwaynissan.co.uk, but you're just better off going into a dealership, to be honest. Go and see what, what's going down, what, what the score is. You know what dealerships are like? They've all got their all. You go along, you have a chat, to get a new car, and you get all sorts of stuff thrown in. I know Westway Nissan are on the ball like that. Go down, have a face-to-face, see what kind of cars you've got going, and, and take advantage of those um, those savings you can get right now. Um, the dealerships, you've got them in North, the Midlands, South and the Southeast, Altrincham, Manchester, Oldham, Rochdale, Stockport. They've got a couple in Birmingham, they've got one in Birmingham Centre, they've got one in Birmingham South, Coventry, Stourbridge, Wolverhampton, and then down south, you've got them in Aldershot, which is the home of the British Army, you've got them in Basingstoke, Hamwell, Mill Hill, and Southampton. Don't forget to... Uh, Check them out online as well. Like I said, westwaynissan.co.uk or you can give them a call. Also remember with them, and I actually had a conversation with the MD earlier on um, before uh, before recording this. Um, we were talking about, just in general, he was, he was giving me a back brief on what the flash sale is at the moment, but he was also saying, uh, we've got a discussion of veterans getting jobs. And I've mentioned it before. Wes, we like to employ people. And he, he said to me on the phone, look, we want people. We want ex-military to come and knock on our door looking for work. He does his specific words, okay? So get on to the West Wing Sun as well. If you're an ex-serviceman or if you're a veteran looking to get out, see what your, see what your career options are. It's a great company. You've got a great MD, great management structure. It's good people to work for. Knock on the door, give them a call, go in and say hello. Um, that is them, West Wing Sun. Also sponsoring us today are 429 Group. You can find 429 Group at 429 Group. Security services, medical services, Health and service, health and safety services, I should say. My lips are all over the place there. Um, just to give a brief overview on on Forty Nine, they were founded by ex-military personnel, and they've been providing security, medical, and health and safety services to multiple industries since 2013. They're highly competitive in cost, and they're unrivaled in quality. They're the go-to supplier for clients with very specific requirements. An example being is their uh, their involvement in the award-winning British war film Kajaki. Um, they were the the exclusive military advisors from screenplay development to the rap. Uh, deployed advisors on set and uh, did a lot of the beat up for it as well, the boot camp, and um, and, and they just was a superb influence on the film. The film was sub- subsequently cited as possibly the most realistic war film to date. Um, they also regularly provide, as I mentioned before, standard services such as first aid training, medical cover, security guards, and health and safety consultancy and supplies. Just uh, go onto their website to check them out. 429.group. They've got an inquiry page there. Drop them a line. And uh, veteran-owned and operated. Excellente. On to the show. Today, my guest is Simon Evitz. Professor Simon Evitz or doctor? He's one of the two. It's Simon Evitz. Um, interesting conversation. He used to work for KBR Wiley, who, who do a lot of the, um, lot of the training and research and stuff over at the European Astronaut Center, which is what uh, ESA use, the European Space Agency use, and um, and now he's a space operations director for Blue Abyss. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Nice to see him. He's also a good friend. 
enjoy the show. Like I said, right, I'll clip this bit off the start. Mm. You're all good. I'm good. No, we're not. Don't worry. No, you say we are. Yeah. You're good. <coughs> I'm good. Um, you're on. Simon Everett. Thank you for your time. You. I do appreciate it. And cheers. Cheers to you. Uh, cheers to the first uh, first person to drink wine at the start mm. of the show. <laughs> Would have been beer, but it's going to be well. Wine. On the on the occasions where we do have beer, we'd say crack them, crack the bottle tops, say cheers, and come. Wine, 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 wine. We'll go with wine. <laughs> um, I said yeah on the way here. I've got, a, I've got, a, I think I've got a question. Like I don't, I don't script things or plan what I'm going to say. Sometimes yeah. I'll, I think, well, I'm going to lean into this now. I have got a question, and it's, uh, it's a broad one, and it's going to take. Oh, I answer it. Um, you're RAF, right? That's not the question. You're ex RAF. Wrong. Go on. Go on. Army. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, hang on, hang on. Yes. Why? I thought. Yes, because I've been at your house in the pictures. Army. Pioneers. Yes, started off as a pioneer. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, right. when it was a core. Right. So, how. I, I want to know the journey, right? From. Oh, when did you join? What age? What age? What age did you join? Uh, 1920. What, what, oh, no, no, no. Right, so you're answering the year then. No, age no, no, 19 right. or 20. I can't remember the exact month right. now. So, <clears throat> here's what I want to know. I want to get you over this, if, if I can. Right. Is uh, a 19, 20 year old joins the Pioneers yeah. in the Army, and I'm now talking to a space operations director for um, a commercial astronaut training centre who is a former member of the European Space Agency. <clears throat> how did that happen? <laughs> what did I'm you join us? I know, how did you join <laughs> Well done with it. Yeah. Uh, what did you join? What did you... So you joined when you were 19, 20 years old. Yeah. What did you join as a ranker or your officer? I joined as an officer cadet, so straight into Sandhurst in 1985. How did I go from there to there? I think there is a link here. I think there's a continual stream that takes me from one to the other. So I'll, I'll go through that stream. Yeah. So I'm a young man, and like yourself, looking for something to do that's adventurous and interesting, and the army is one of those things. So, like many of the viewers that will be listening to us, 1982 and the Falklands War, and my age, the age I was at, uh, 16, 17, um, had an impact on me. I could see the guys out there tabbing and yomping and, and doing the business, and yeah. I'm thinking, well, you know what, that's an adventurous lifestyle. So that's what headed me in the direction of the army, and um, the physical fitness side of the army, I found I was good at and I enjoyed. So, as an officer, uh, you know, officers and, and NCOs, they've got soldiers to train, and the training element I found was was enjoyable. But what I didn't have was detailed knowledge about exercise and health and fitness. So after a few years in the, in the army, I said to myself, "Sorry, what was your before the army? What was your caterer? No, but fitness-wise, what were you doing before the army? Nothing. No, I was a caterer. Okay, yeah, I was working in hotels and bars and things. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. wine waiters and 
serving in res- yeah. restaurants. So um, I wanted to learn more. So I, I, I actually initially left the army after a short service commission with the intention of going back. And it had been told I'd been told I could go back after getting a degree in sports science. And the sport and exercise side of things I enjoyed in university. But it was in university that I then learned that exercise science is actually something that's important in the, in the field of human spaceflight. And I've never known that. <coughs> so, so you, hang on, so you joined up on a short service commission? Yeah. At 19, 20 years old? Yeah. So how long? I don't understand what that is. Explain that to me. Uh, so uh, I can't remember now whether it was three or four years, it, it fluctuated a bit. So about, about, about three and a half years after being commissioned, that com- that short service commission either comes to an end and you leave, yeah. or you get an extension, you do a, a longer commission. And I left um, with the intention of going back. Um, and as you'll find out, I didn't go straight back. So I left and did a degree, uh, and that degree. Did you have to leave? No, 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 not at all. My choice. Okay. Mm. Because I wanted to learn, and as an officer, if you want to really know the ins and outs of physical training, yeah. Um, it's difficult now. As an other rank, you can become a PTI, and you've got you've got some streams of sort of avenues uh, you can okay. take. Yeah. But uh, as an officer, I'd have ended up behind a desk or something like that. So uh, I came out, did my degree, and during that degree, I learned about spaceflight, and that was the thing that that, that got me. Sports science degree. Sports science. Well, degree. How come spaceflight? It's simply exercise, reading up on exercise and deconditioning. When you, you know, allow yourself to go. Um, and learning that that's what happens in space. Uh, so it just part, so it, it cropped up in conversation, uh, cropped up in your studies, and yeah. you became interested. Yeah, that's right. And, but your intention for getting out then was to go and learn, uh, get your sports science degree to get back in, so that that would put you onto a career path to do with physical, uh, with physical. Activity. Wasn't entirely sure, but I wanted. Uh, well, what I did in back in the army wasn't too important, but what I I knew I would have was a grounding in exercise science that whether I came out or stayed in would be useful. You know, exercise science is good in the military, exercise is good, and if I didn't stay in long and came out, it was useful. So it was a, it's, it's a sensible sort of career progression type thing. But I didn't go back in. Well, I did, but I didn't go straight back in. Mm-hmm. Because the more I looked into the space side of things, the field of human spaceflight, you know, it's exciting, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's exciting and adventurous and dangerous, but no one shoots at you. So it had a lot of what we got out of the military, oh, yeah. <laughs> but without some of the downsides. Space Force coming. Well, yes. Now that's a, that's an interesting yeah. one. We can chat about that, can't we, later on? Yeah. So I actually, um, I, I chose not to go back in, but as you'll see, I did go back go back in, um, and you chose not to. Go back I chose not to at that time during my degree. Yeah. I finished during the degree. Yeah, I finished the degree and said, right, I'm not going back. Was it sponsored? Was it? Was no, it? no, no, it wasn't. Um, there was talk about it, but no. And at the end of the degree, I, I decided I will go into the field of human spaceflight. In fact, what I decided was, why not become an astronaut? You know, I, it's extremely difficult. It's ridiculously difficult. But I thought, well, let's give it a go. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the pathway to becoming an astronaut, it, you can, either you're typically in those How old days. Uh, so I would have been 26. Okay. Typically in those days, you're a military pilot type. I wasn't a pilot, of course, or you're a sciencey type. And I'd started doing a science degree, so I said, right, that's what I'll do. Um, if I'm going to be an astronaut, I have a crack at you know, being selected to be an astronaut. 
I'll need the right qualifications and a PhD. I didn't want a PhD, never intended to have a PhD, but if that's what I needed, boom. So that's the path I started going down. Um, now the interesting thing is, I have my PhD, I finished, and the postdoc, which is sort of the next step of a PhD, I did it the, in California, in America, oh. at the NASA Ames Research Center. I was okay. very fortunate to better get down there and do some interesting what work there. The NASA Ames Research Ames. Center. Ames, it's, it's the name of the place. Oh, okay. And yes, it's near San Francisco. Yeah. And um, there, in amongst NASA, you know, the home of human spaceflight, if you like, in many ways, mm -hmm. um, 1999, that's when I realized then, as a Brit, you would not become an astronaut. You could not become an astronaut unless you chose to become an American, for instance, as three or four or five individuals had done. As, so it was, I, as it was then. That's right. As yeah. it was then. So I realised actually my, my, my intention of becoming an astronaut was not going to happen. I didn't intend, I didn't want to become an American, I didn't want my kids to grow up American. I love America, absolutely love it, great friends, but I'm a Brit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I actually had a bit of an existential, you know, critical moment, <laughs> what do I do with my life? Um, and stepped back into the military. I went back for a couple of years. It was at that time where there, I don't know whether it still goes on, there were a lot of gaps in the military and ex-regulars could go back in on a contract for a, a period of time. So I w went in oh. on a contract for two years. Yeah. This is the early, early noughties, 2000, 2001, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I remember that, because there's a, a massive wave, kind of like what's happening now, there's a massive wave of redundancies to what, in the mid to late 90s, wasn't there? Lean look, I think it was called, uh, cutting everything. Yeah, and then they realised they got through, rid of too many people. Mm. She got the contract. Funny, when was that? <coughs> 18 years ago? <laughs> yeah, 20 yeah. years ago? More yeah. or less, it's happened now again. It's happened now again. But yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But okay. So those gaps needed filling, and I failed fill one of them. Yeah. I actually loved it. Oh, it what were you doing? Word at first. I went, so then the pioneers weren't existing as a core or, or in the same way that they were when I left. And it was the RLC. Yeah. And the RLC had, and I presume still have, got a pioneer regiment. Um, I'm not sure actually. Yeah. I'm not sure. When I left, um, well, no, for the time, when I left, we didn't have a pioneer platoon. But when I was when I joined up for the majority of the, for half my career, there was a platoon <coughs> within three part who was the pioneer platoon, sort pioneer platoon. But then as as Iraq, the Iraq conflict evolved into well into coin operations. And Afghani government's coin ops, then sort of they they weren't the assault parties were needed because you had other units like the engineers, yeah, um, RLC who had their own bits and bobs that could do what do need. So that, that manpower just get put into the mm. Mm. But uh, but I don't I don't remember the pioneer regiment because it was a tri-service unit when I oh, first really? started. Ah. The, the reason I chose the pioneers coming into the army was I, I said, what's the most travelled unit you can in, think of? And I was told pioneers, they're everywhere. They're, they're working for the Navy, for the Air Force, for the Army, all around the world. That's why I chose them. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, we, you know, things are very different now. Mm. So back into, into the RLC for a couple of years. Did you have to do Sanders again? No, no, no. no. It was, uh, it was uh, straight in, really, after a bit of paperwork. And not far from here, Bista. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And th that couple of years gave me time to try and work out, you know, am I going to stick to space, space flight? Do I stay back in the military? Um, they had room for me or do I do something else and um, and I, I did two things I started a fitness uh, related company briefly 
and at the same time started getting back into to the human spaceflight side the of things. Well, not what was in there, but what did it do? Well, it was, it, if you're thinking of an exercise program, if you're thinking of health and fitness, and you want to keep fit, get fit, lose weight, keep the weight off, the key thing is, it's not what exercise to do and what to eat and what not to do. We all know that. The key thing is, how do you not give up? How do you keep doing the right thing? And how do you stop and stay not doing the wrong thing? It's here. Mental so it's the yeah. cognitive, the mental side that I was focusing on. I spent a number of years really getting into the depths of habits and what causes them and how do you avoid them. Yeah. That was what I was working on. At the same time, also dabbling with, with space. I had a few friends who were working in the space field. Yeah. And, and you got to a point, really, where you know, I've got these things I'm, I'm working in. This fitness breakthrough, which is the name of the company, was great and I loved it. It, it was hard work and I wasn't quite getting where I wanted to get. And there's this, there's this exciting field called space flight. And I, and I thought, no, I won't go back to the military. I had my, had my time there and, I, and enjoyed that. Um, so I'll crack on with the space side of things. And uh, I got lucky. I was um, at a conference. I used to attend a lot of conferences and symposiums. It was when Virgin Galactic was starting to come on board okay. and kick off. And they commissioned a study. And the company that, that, that did the study was called Futron. Futron. And the study was who will be commercial human spaceflight clients, customers. You know, who are the people who are going to be going to space who aren't government astronauts? And um, on average, this study was saying it'll be typically, on average, mid fifty-year-old male, mostly at the beginning. You know, businessman type because it's going to be expensive. Of average health for that, you know, type of person. And so that's fine. You know, of average health. Mm -hmm. um, and in this conference, I repeatedly stood up and said, well, hang on a minute, your average health of a 50-year-old, 55-year-old businessman is not good. So saying on average health does not mean that there's going to be no problems with these people going into space. Uh, it's one of the, is, is that, that's down to, is that down to um, not his, not the naivety of that uh, that project, that Virgin Galactic thing, but not the naivety of what's in, what, like the health requirements of going of not going not being in space but launching mm. which yeah. is the main issue is launching isn't it yeah but is it down to him trying to appeal to the market to gain traction and investment it, it is it's the business side isn't it and it wasn't because the other people doing the same thing now like Musk yes and it wasn't Virgin Galactic that was, were, were saying these things it was the company they'd commissioned they were saying ah look this is fine no, you'll right, be fine right, look at right, these guys right, right. Um, and uh, yes, it's, it's you know, you've got the business world, haven't you? The business world are trying to do certain things. But by my standing up and, and, and pointing these issues and flaws out at this conference, I, I, I caught the notice of a chap who's, who's since become a, a senior executive in, in, in the company that I subsequently worked for called Wiley. Oh, yeah. And um, this guy came to see me afterwards. Hi, Vern, if you're there. <laughs> uh, and said, there's, a, there's an, a gap in uh, the European Astronaut Centre over in Cologne for a person who would fit the middle ground between physicians, doctors, clinic, clinical physicians, and, and life scientists who would act as a bridge between those two fields. And it's, they're looking, this is the uh, medical operations team at the European Astronaut Centre. Mm -hmm. They were looking for this person to act as, to be part of MedOps, who are mostly physicians and, and, and nurses and the like, to be a part of MedOps, but to be able to talk to the space life science world and uh, we think you might be good for that job. So uh, went for it, 
So it's lucky you got it. What do you mean talk to a space life science world? It's odd. You would think that space medicine, so your docs, and space life science, so people involved in, say, you know, the biology of, of going to and being in space, you'd think that would be all one big happy family and one big sphere and all work together. It's actually two separate things. And, and there's a reason for that. For astronauts, their data, it's a little bit like pilots. Pilots don't necessarily want their physical information everywhere because you could take a look at someone's health and go, hang on a minute, that's a bit not so good for a pilot. Maybe we should ground him or her. Um, and it's the same with astronauts. So, you know, they want their data to be, okay, my doc knows that data, but that stays there. No one else needs to know that data. And, and for sensible reasons. Um, and it's also, like all of us, we have our physical medical data. We don't want the world to know our, our ins and outs. So the medical operations teams, the docs, tended to keep themselves to themselves mm -hmm. for that reason, understandably. But it did get to a point over many years, and it's, it's all over the world, same in, over NASA and, and, and Russia, it, but it did get to the point after a number of years where it became a problem, you know, these two communities not talking to each other. From an R&D perspective? From, from an, a strategic and R&D perspective. So the, the researchers, so if they know that astronauts have got these specific problems, they can try and come up with solutions. Yeah. But if they don't know those problems exist, how do you know what solution to come up with? Um, it's much, much better now, much better, and that, and, and that was part of my job to try and make that, that um, you know, cross that, make that bridge. Uh, and NASA did a great job in, in, in bringing things together. So, uh, yeah, the job happened. I went over to Clone, European Astronaut Centre. So not actually working as a member of the European Space Agency, mm -hmm. but working for the European Space Agency um, as a member of a company called Wiley. So when NASA, what do Wiley do? Wiley are NASA's primary um, space medicine, uh, space life science um, service provider. You know, so uh, they, they will provide equipment, expertise, flight surgeons. To do anything to do with astronautics and people in space, Wiley are global experts. Um, so I was very, very proud indeed to be a part of that team. And, um, and that's really what, what then brought me into the world of human spaceflight. After 10 years of, of being a Wiley guy at the European Astronaut Centre you know, uh, and being a part of human spaceflight operations, the, the centre there has the astronauts for Europe, that's where they, they, they live, they're trained, um, the space missions are happening all the time. The team that I ran were constantly involved in space missions and looking after the astronauts in their space. How does that work? How, you, how, yeah, how does that... Yeah, well... The... the, the the biggest, the biggest risk, for, I'm just thinking as I'm talking, as I usually do, uh, is the biggest risk when you've got um, spaceflight going on, human, sorry, human spaceflight going on, the biggest uh, variable, or the most risky variable in that must be the people, is it? <laughs> there are, it depends on, I think it depends on what division within an agency you come from. Because many a person from another division will say, "No, that's risky," but this is more risky. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's. It's. You know. It, it, in that chain, that that long chain with all those links, that is a space program. Mm -hmm. The human element is the soft element, isn't it? Um, and uh, but it's very much an unknown quantity, isn't it? I suppose it's become quite known now because now we've done a, quite a few years of what we call long duration space missions. These are six month missions ish, 
Six months, of, yeah, regarded as long duration. That's the typical long duration mission nowadays. And we've done quite a few. And so nowadays we really do have an understanding of what's, where the risks are and, and what the issues are. So the team that I ran um, particularly looked after the, the, the fitness of the astronauts before they went to space, when they were there and when they came back. Um, and and it's, it's, there aren't many big risks because things are controlled so well now. The risk will get greater again when we start pushing the boundaries again. You're talking about physical, right? I'm talking about physical, mental, we have psychology on board. Well, so, to be more specific when I'm talking about, I'm talking about like, the mental side of things, I think very much I know, I know quantity because in training <coughs> and evaluation and analysis, is only, uh, I would suggest there's only so far you can test a person to sort of the, the, the impact of stress, mm. the impacts of isolation, you know, working the very small team working uh, understanding or trying to understand how a person will cope with the realisation that they are how many miles above the earth in the ISS? 400 kilometres that they are 400 kilometres above the earth in the ISS mm. and that if something goes wrong there's no you know fire brigade <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, I'm putting it in lim not limb terms but simplifying that is I mean I, c I can imagine that there must be there must be some astronauts who go up there that are fully trained, you know, as mentally tough as they come. But that sort of there's a that realization that oh, there's no cavalry, <coughs> there's no cavalry, you know. That, so when I was talking about um, that, that unknown quantity, I was, I was referring to yeah. sort of mental yeah, yeah. Uh, resilience. Yeah? Yeah. Well, you know what I think. Has anyone ever flipped out? Do you know of anyone ever flipping out? Because it wouldn't get reported, would it? I, my understanding is right. that has happened once, and this was on Mir, right? And it was flipped out to so a bit extreme, but it was a, a cognitive mental issue yeah. that, that led to one of the cosmonauts at that time being returned early. That my understanding. But that could be as something as small as um, it could just it could just be never pre. It could be it could be something as small as I don't know. Uh, like uh, like like um, like a period of days where their their sleep pattern becomes abnormal and their anxiety or their stress levels become the the the, the, the sensors they have on the <coughs> body uh, that this, the the monitoring of the body indicates like stress levels a bit higher. To me, if I was you and I was monitoring that, not lying on you, if I was monitoring a, um, an astronaut in space and there was those little pre but prolonged and I would go but you know we, might wanna we don't monitor their physiology in space really? not all the time no when they go out and do certain things like an EVA then there'll be a degree of monitoring but their general activity all through the day no that surprises me right? they're just living their lives doing their job and at certain times certain you know, I mean, the blood sample here there'll be a um, chat with the psychologists what I think it's once a month I can't remember now how often it is but on the whole because they, they, choose, they, they don't want it and there's no need for it actually because actually all what you're talking about and, and sort of concerned about um, Hugh is dealt with during astronaut selection the selection process is so refined it, it, it's very impressive and there's a huge emphasis on the, the medical health the physical health of those people that may or may not be chosen and the cognitive the, the mental capabilities and health um, and I, 
I would probably say that the largest single field where the most focus is put during selection is on that side of things. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what you get out at the end of selection is you get people who are so calm, so able to cope with stress. Tim Peake's a great example. I was about to say, I've heard, I've heard was it conversation with you previously? Or was it, no, it was someone else. No, it was someone else. Might be John, actually. That, um, that Tim Peake is a guard who is one of the most reliable and capable astronauts across the board today today across the board because of his mental uh, because of, I, I don't know but I think it's because of his attitude the way he deals with stress the yeah. way that his <clears throat> demeanour his personality the way he deals with other astronauts and yeah. cosmonauts and he, he's, he's a star he's a star he's, 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 he's great in, in just about every way you can think what of what makes him different uh, well, that's not we, to take it away from any of the other. No, right. they're all good. Yeah, yeah. There's no two ways about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> you and I would not stand up to the single one of them, but they're all good. Uh, why? How is he? Is he? He's one of the better astronauts that, that there are out there. Is this um, common knowledge among the community? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's certainly my understanding. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So one of the things is that if you've got a test pilot, that test pilot is almost certainly going to remain calmer. Under, under te- stressful circumstances than almost anywhere else, anyone else. Luca Palmitano is a good example. Go on, why, why, what, sorry, test pilot. Test, you know, a, a test pilot. A pilot. He's a test pilot. So. He's a. T- he's a, um, he is a, test a helicopter test pilot. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. I wouldn't do that. I would not want to do that. So well, no. so that you know, if you can do a that as a wrong. routine it's, it's job, there's no gliding down the <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> and Apache as well, then you know you're going to keep calm. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Army Air Corps. Um, I mean, Luca Palmitano is a good example. So Luca's uh, Sicilian. He's yeah. one of the, the new, the, the six new astronauts of which Tim was one of them. Yeah. Luca's another uh, great guy, lovely guy, um, test pilot, uh, fixed wing, wing, I think. Um, he was the guy that nearly drowned in his spacesuit. Do you remember a few years back? Vaguely remember. It. Remind me. So you've got an EVA, um, two astronauts going out. You've got the lead astronaut. Who's, who's EVA being an extra vehicular, uh, extra vehicular activity. Correct. Sorry, yeah. spacewalk. Spacewalk, yeah. yeah. Spacewalk, and um, you've got the lead, and you've got the, the, the second guy, and Lucas, the second guy, he's the novice, he's the rookie. Um, but uh, he goes out, and as he's going out, he's, he's saying to, to, to the guys back at, you know, in Houston, hey, Houston, I'm feeling a bit of wetness in my, in my suit, in my helmet. Um, might be perspiration. Um, the wetness gets more and more and more. They start talking about, well, have you got a, they've got a bottle in there they can suck from. Oh, okay. Is your, is your bottle leaking? Um, well, it wasn't that. Um, to cut the long story short, it was the suit itself. There's a, a liquid cooling garment in there, so there's a lot of fluid in the suit. And that, that what's the fluid? Uh, I think it's principally water. There might be a few chemicals in there, but it's, it's principally water. There's, there's, there's fluid that was escaping into his suit and forming a big blob that was coming down over his oh, head. There's no gravity because of no gravity, yeah, and he was at the far end, very far away from, from the main habitat, and got to the point where he covered his ears, and he couldn't hear people talking to him, and he covered his eyes so he couldn't see where he was going. Oh my God. And they said at that point, when I mean, you know where the water's going, you've got to get back. And at that point, every 90 minutes, the sun goes. Uh, the sun went, not that he could see anyway. Um, every 90 minutes, the sun goes. Every 90 minutes, one rotation. Um, the way that the Chris, his oppo was, and he were, they had to go back to the to the airlock separately, and it's different. He couldn't, the other guy couldn't take him. 
and they've got leads, they've got uh, guidelines. Yeah. And uh, I spoke to Luca. One of the nice things I had at the US Astronaut Center, it was lovely and a great privilege, is I could, when an astronaut comes back from space, I could ask him, you know, how'd it go, what it, what it do. And, and there was an, a question I used to ask all of them, you know, what surprised you mm. about being in space? I'll give you Luca's answer later. Um, but Luca, Luca told me that the problem was that he couldn't see anything. He, what's upside down in space? You know, where am I in relation yeah. to where I've just come from and where I want to go to? Let alone, where is it? Is it there or is it there that I now need to go yeah. quickly before I drown? And the only thing in the end he could have was this small the guide wire that they have as a safety line. Yeah. I could feel some tension there. So he worked his way back by himself in the dark all the time the water was coming further and further down he could feel it in the dark because there's some of the other side of and he couldn't see because of water and he said I I got to the the hatch and I could feel the water lapping around my lips and I knew that any second now it could come down over my lips now the interesting thing here is is there's only been one active European flight surgeon British flight surgeon Um, that's a a, a chum of mine called called Ben and, and Ben had just finished his training as a flight surgeon. He was down at Houston. And uh, the lead flight surgeon, you've got the flight surgeon monitoring the astronaut all the time, had gone off to the toilet. And so Ben, Mr. Rookie Flight Surgeon, (laughs) finds himself there with a crisis on his hands. Um, And Ben told me, you know, he was watching Luca's heart rate. Oh, it was a bit high, but not like yours or mine would be. It was, I don't know, in the 90s as opposed to 75s, but it was calm he was a test pilot and this is the point it had been selected out that when these guys get to these situations they they are cool dudes he was potentially going to die any any second if you look at the video footage online of the other astronauts when he got inside and then tr- tearing his, oh, his really? helmet, trying to get, get him get him out of there so he could breathe um, it was a close run thing was yeah. it Luca Palmitano Palmitano yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, so the, yeah, the selection process is really the thing, Hugh. It's yeah. very, very good. And it, it, you end up with people churned out at the end who are supremely calm and supremely good at what they do. I was thinking 10 minutes ago, well, 10, 15 minutes ago, but not when I started, why, why, um, why the astronauts are predominantly come from pilots. And I said, oh, why? <clears> because... It, a flipping rocket so far removed, unless it was to do with like shuttles, but the shuttle's gone. Mm. And you just answered that it's because yeah. of that, um, yeah, the way I deal with stress. And we'll see that in this new film coming out, you know, The First Man. Uh, oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, if you look at some of the things that Neil Armstrong went through in, in, in that, uh, those early Apollo, uh, Gemini, and Mercury um, times, um, you'll see, oh, cool, dude. How the hell do you stay calm in that situation and that situation? And that's why they chose him for that mm. big mission, the big one. No matter what was going to get thrown at him. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm. they were all a bit um, different, weren't they? I watched a. Um, I watched. A, I, I like to chuckle myself with watching videos um, from people who think the moon landers are faked or <laughs> flat earth isn't that I mean there's, there's loads and loads of videos uh, to do with uh, to do with the press conference <clears> when <throat> came back and saying that look at these guys look at the, look at where they are look at where they're speaking they're, bl- they're blatantly <clears throat> not comfortable being there they mm. don't want to they don't they're, they're saying things they've been told to say they're avoiding questions and blah 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 I remember watching it and thinking, 
Oh, yeah, they're all spaced out. They are. Oh, pardon, pardon the pun. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. They are. I mean, the first time I watched it, I thought, this is madness. Yeah. Madness. It's, it's peculiarities here. Just odd. Odd, odd. Really strange. But I was thinking, well, what about, look at all the build up, everything they've gone through, um, <clears> and that journey, which, and that, that mission, which wasn't that long in terms of like little yeah. time duration from leaving to landing on the moon to coming back wasn't that long was it how long was it yeah it would have been like yeah max, oh, max. Yeah, they, they were varying um, lengths and television is relatively new media is relatively new so they've gone from all that so they they probably were in the military for 10-15 years before yeah yeah. so all that sort of um, ev- technological evolution they've only, only had a sample you know what it's like when you're in the military yeah, and then all of a sudden they've landed on them to come back and they, they're in a room with probably hundreds and hundreds of reporters and it's the first real Ooh. oh my god and the world what is, is looking at the you. world the world Literally. and they realise the the, the, mm. the the scale and of what they've done the interest yeah. of what they've done yeah so an interesting thing about that sort of that, that, that mental attitude or, or um, effect if you like on on the individual with regards to those Apollo missions so you've got three people in each of the Apollo missions one guy stays up in orbit around the moon and then two go down to the moon you've got the commander who's in charge of the whole mission obviously and you've got the the pilot of of the the lunar landing module as it were so you've got the the boss of the 2IC Um, as most military guys will and girls will know leaders are focusing on the mission they are they are really thinking hard about right what next and what if and right that 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 and there's a difference in the way that the, the those the moon walkers if you like the the leads and the, and the two ICs thereafter their their mental attitude to life so the two ICs the pilots were able to think wow to a degree look around and think gosh bloody hell this is huge the leaders are focusing on the mission. They're not letting it quite get to them just how huge it is. It's the mission, I mustn't you know, cock up. Mm-hmm. I've got to get this done. Um, and so I think a greater percentage of the, I call them two ICs, pilots, um, the lunar module pilots, had uh, alcohol problems and, 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 uh, or uh, look to religion or, or, or art did they have so the ones are realizing impacted at the time they were impacted greatly later on in life and oh. because of the impact at the time more but the ones who were able to realize while they were on the mission the scale of what they were doing and, and well the, the, the leaders I think just didn't allow themselves to absorb during the mission really the impact at that time right sorry sorry I'm, oh, I was getting okay. it wrong so the, 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 like the Neil Armstrong the buzz yeah. lit, right I'm glad you said that because I've made me smile at us because I have made I've said ex- almost exactly the same thing a couple of times on on this and mm. I, I've said it a number of times to I've said it in <coughs> things where people say you know, um, you know how did you cope with this that the other you mm. know my, my, my military experience yeah and I've I've said I've never thought about that like that with the moon landings I've never thought about that before but now I've seen it but what I've said is it's going to mirror what you say I think and is that <clears throat> the people who I, who I think have the most diff- mentally the most difficult time when you're on a mission, when you're on an operation, who, who, who have the most emotional 
weight to bear with the daily the flipping hourly half hourly struggle to just go, to keep going and not crap yourself and not worry about what's going to happen is the private and yeah, private yeah. through I, I, I'll say the way I say it is that it's because <clears throat> because of their they don't have to think about the bigger picture all they have to worry about doing is doing what they're told and feed themselves and more and keep and keep their ammunition and weapon clean that's it mm. that only fills a certain amount of time of the day yeah right for it can only fill a certain amount of space in your mind right yeah. um so the people as you, the people who are more greatly affected have always have always meant maintained this since i realized it i think a few years back is lance jacks corporals sergeants chunk commanders two ic's company commanders section commanders because they are entirely focused on everything else but themselves have my clothes got enough water have my clothes mm. got enough ammunition how are we doing the next mission what are we going to do if this happens what are we going to do if that happens what about the bigger picture what about if this blah 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 through the whole tour yeah. through the whole tour through repeated tours yeah. and then when they come back so it's a so the, that impact is but I think there's some really big similarities there but possibly one difference this is just my opinion I've not read this in, mm. in any books anywhere so what you're saying exactly your Tom has got time to be aware of what's going on a bit more and to worry about what's going on in the mission to a degree and that, that might affect him or her yeah. one way or another uh, with regards to the moon missions so, so the equivalent of the Tom is the, the, the non- uh, commander, he's the pilot, the leader module pilot. Um, he's the it's the guy who's who's not not the leader of the mission, and that guy absorbs. Who was in? Uh, so Buzz Aldrin was the two IC in, in, in uh, the Apollo Eleven, and obviously Neil was the leader. Yeah, but who was in lunar module? And the, no, yeah, well they both go down on the lunar module. No, sorry, the, in the uh, oh uh, Mike Collins. Up, up the so lunar, who are you, are you talking about, Buzz Aldrin? Now, yeah? I'm talking about Buzz Aldrin. Okay. I'm talking about the the, okay. the moonwalkers who weren't. Okay. Um, Leading the missions, yeah, um, and and so they they absorb what's happening differently, which is what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Leaders and non-leaders, yeah, um, and I think I believe the impact is greater on them, therefore, because your leaders thinking about yeah. the food and the mission and the this and the that, and uh, and and it seems that afterwards when we look at the, the these guys that they've been affected more. More substantially now, maybe in the military, the leaders oh, are affected more substantially slightly afterwards. Slightly but it's but still the same sort of notion about how the, the different uh, perspectives exist. Where's Neil Armstrong? You think he's dead now? Is he? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, about three, four years ago. I didn't realise. I didn't. Yeah. He was point. a university professor for, for many, many years. Was he? Yeah. It was a, a just you know that was his thing, and he did he did very very little media. He simply you know, for, for decades put that aside. Well, he almost seemed like a recluse. Almost that, that post that post moon um, landing conference. But then we know where Buzz Aldrin is now. He's flipping cuckoo. I mean, I love, I love he's that. brilliant on social media. He is. He is awesome. He's awesome. He's I a character, love, isn't he? You we met him. Um, I had a very brief. Conversation with him across um, <laughs> across an audience at a conference, yeah. um, which didn't go down too well. Uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, there's a thing called overview effect. 
you know, overview effect in, you look down on the world as one. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. You know, there's no borders, and it changes how you see the world and humanity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who've been in space have got that overview effect. Now, I know that Buzz had been asked, you know, ad nauseum about overview effect. He wasn't too keen on about it. And I had a question that was related to that, but wasn't that. Mm-hmm. And I asked it, I don't even know what the question was now. I, I asked Buzz this question, but he heard the word overview effect and just flipped. Uh, and, oh God, not again! He didn't hear my question and uh, went off for one. So it wasn't too pleasant an experience. But I do love the story because you were talking earlier on about the old, uh, you know, the conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. You know, did it ever happen? Because he gets a lot of that. Yeah. He's always got a lot of that. Yeah. And I've seen the clips of the approach him. Brilliant. And there's one t- one time some, he was crossing the road and, and some one of these one of these conspiracy theorists um, had a go at him and he'd had enough and he clocked him. Explain what uh, <clears throat> overview effect is. It is literally you, you you've we we have a feeling of you know I'm we're British I'm I'm English you're Welsh you know um, there are borders there are nations there are types of the groups of people. Um, but then the astronauts go up into space and they're in orbit and they look down on this great big blue ball there's no borders there are no there's nothing that says that's Switzerland you know that's Austria that's Germany there's nothing it's just one great big landmass and all the people are spread out all, all over the world so the overview effect is you get this overview of the world and it changes your perspective of humanity it changes your perspective of, of what we're all about and so people, and I've heard a number of astronauts say, if only we could put all the politicians in the world in a spacecraft and put them in orbit and say, look at that. Now get on with your job. It yeah. might actually change things. It'd be a bit of devolution, I think. No more borders. Uh, I get it, actually. I do get it. But uh, don't ask Buzz about that. No, I won't. I won't, I won't. <laughs> well, I see him. Uh, we're going to have a drink or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so going back to your very first question, I sort of think I've, I've, I've covered that. You end up, it, it's, it was all to do with physics, because the team I led within the European Astronaut Centre were to do with the health of astronauts. We, we helped support the, the health of astronauts. Um, so it's, it's physical, you know, the, the old, as I said, physical training, health and fitness. It's always been a stream for me all throughout. And when you're an astronaut, when you, sorry, I'll go back a step. If a human being goes into space, they will decondition very, very quickly if they're not doing the right thing. Seven times faster than we decondition or age, if you like, on Earth. So you age quickly in space. And so you need to be able to do the right health and fitness to be, able to be in space and to come back and be strong and fit. Yeah. Um, so that's been the theme that, that led me from Pioneer to, to human spaceflight. Your bones become denser as well, don't they? Less dense, sorry. Bones become less dense. Yeah, age quicker. Muscles will atrophy, they'll yeah. wither. Um, but can you prevent the bones the bones issue by just by diet and exercise alone, or is it, or will it happen to some extent anyway, regardless? A, we don't know at the moment whether we can fully prevent it. Possibly. I suspect possibly we can. Can you reverse it? It must be. Uh, so when they come back, when, when the astronauts return, can we get density back? Okay, so I, I, I've got this lovely... Um, excuse me. I lecture down at King's College London once a year. I do a, a space sort of space module, and I've got this lovely graph that I show the students of I don't know how many astronauts it is, twenty, thirty astronauts who've had their bone density and their certain parts of their body measured right. before mission, 
post-mission and then for years afterwards oh. after the mission and, it's, um, and in this area here the pelvis the upper thighs the lower spine that ALB, that area is really affected more than many other areas most of the other areas and I've got an image uh, which shows you the, the bone density um, data for these astronauts mm -hmm. from the, the top of their thigh bone and you can see that immediately on return from their space mission they're anything from two or three percent less in bone density down to sort of 15 20 percent less bone density okay. that's clinically significant levels and then over the course of three or four years the vast majority recover that bone density but some of them don't so three or four years later don't at all. still haven't they've recovered some of it but they haven't fully it. recovered it yeah so um, we're not we're not really properly on top of this yet I, I, I think we will do but we're still trying to understand exactly what exercise is needed and exactly what dietary nutrition and, and, and uh, supplements are needed in order to one prevent it happening uh, and if we can't prevent it then to at least have it fully recover for everybody quickly and it's, we've got some ways to go I mean the, the importance of recovering the, the bone density is just to prevent breaks and risk of injury and and, yeah. and the generation of blood correct uh, uh, yeah yeah blood's a, a point this is this come brings me to another nice little story actually bone breaks and, and, and those sort of injuries musculoskeletal yeah. injuries um, so Blue Abyss we've got this wonderful consultant called Walter Kuniger Professor mm -hmm. Kuniger Professor Moon who you will know about Professor Moon is it Moon yeah, yeah. Moon, yeah. so Walter led the research that um NASA needed in order to know how are we going to have people explore the moon? Will they walk normally? Will they, how much oxygen will they need? It's back in the 60s, right? It's way back in the 50s and 60s, yeah. yeah. If you're carrying X number of kilograms of rocks, how much oxygen are you using? How much CO2 are you using that's got to be scrubbed? Yeah. How fast can they move? Therefore, how far can they go on what they've got? All these equations, these formulae need to be worked out. They needed to understand that before you put your astronauts on the moon and that's what Walter did he led that research beautiful research and one of the things that he did was he showed that if you're doing something like a drilling activity you know it's it's drilling's fairly innocuous especially if it's a big old hand drill it's no big problem but if that drill stops um, and you, you're one-sixth G you've not got much purchase on the ground yeah the drill stops the astronaut goes around it's very simple said, that's what you've got to watch for and it's yeah. exactly what happened you can see the video clips even now on, on, online um, but the, so you think okay but you're one six G it's not very heavy is it you're not going to hurt yourself but the mass is the same so you've got a hundred kilogram man for instance yeah. wearing 150 kilograms worth of kit that 250 kilograms of mass leverage on the bone rotates around a little bone got it Boom. So the the risk of injury of, for those sorts of activities falling, it's only one third weight. The mass is still there. You know, it, it, it's if you catch something in a rotation, you can still have a big problem with that mass. And so because um, it's moving at a faster rate, won't it? Because the mass will move faster, correct? Uh, well, no, it won't move faster, but the mass is still got to go somewhere. It's still massive, right? Okay. It, it, it's whatever momentum's there that that mass has got, it's, it's going to have an effect. Um, so coming back to your bones. Uh, yeah, the bones do need to be strong because you want to reduce the risk of, of any injuries when you're exploring some mm. planet. Um, and we're not fully on top of that. That's one of the things that's considered a showstopper for an exploration mission right now. Um, we, we, we will get on top of it. 
I think we need long, big centrifuge vehicles in space going around so that they can walk and feel artificial gravity. Like uh, that iconic scene in 2001, yeah. Yeah. With um, Kia Dullia. That's what you need. That's, that's, yeah. that's my belief. D- you take gravity with you. Is that feasible? Uh, it's very, very expensive and it's a big engineering challenge. Why is it expensive? Because the, the, the amount of mass, the, the size of the vehicles you need and the power that you need it depends on the type of centrifuge you, you, you produce. Well, once you get spinning, surely. That's one of the projects, uh, sorry, one of the um, um, designs that I've seen actually, where actually things are quite lightweight but long yeah. and tethers and, and spin. Yeah. And then you've got at the end of a small capsule where you could have some artificial gravity. Uh, yeah, yeah, it could be a way to go. It's still a big engineering challenge, I think. I think that's the way for the future. I think it has to be take gravity with us. It's, I, yeah, I suppose that's the only way to create gravity in space, and it would be through that. What kind of fitness <coughs> regime do the astronauts do at the, on the space station? Well, anyway, well, yeah, on the space station. A lot. They've got a two and a half hour period every day put aside for fitness. Huh. Um, some of that's taken for you know, changing and showering and the like. So they might do maybe an hour and a half of, of actual exercise each yeah. day. But it's, it's I say each day. Not crazy strenuous though, is it? Some of it is. It's five or six days worth in every week. Yeah. And there's a device called the ARED, which is the Advanced Resistance Exercise Device. I've seen that. Okay, yeah. so it's, it's a like resist- a moving bench. Yeah, yeah, bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the bits, all the things you can with yeah. vacuum cylinders instead yeah. of weights. It doesn't look easy to use. No, no, and and it's so if you're doing a squat, a giant mousetrap. Yeah, <laughs> if you're doing a squat on Earth, you know we sort of know how to squat down because we do it all the time. You yeah. know, we've got our our weight here. Now you squat. So a red provides a bar over your shoulder so you can squat with it okay yeah. so whereas when we when I squat right now I've got the weight of my leg here and here I've got the weight of my hips here I've got the weight of the bar I'm carrying there my body and my mind I know how to squat in in orbit all the weight is just here yeah the body hasn't got any weight yeah so yeah. the manner the biomechanics are different how would you force the how would you force the the feeling the weight then it's or vacuum the cylinders Vacuum cylinders are, you know, you're trying to, imagine you've got a vacuum cylinder and you're trying to expand it, it's going to provide a resistance. So it must be almost like a reverse, oh no, yes, I see, yeah, I see, yeah. But you've got to work hard at it, really hard, um, so you know, the guys I worked with, the exercise specialists, you start off fairly gently at first because you've got to get used to this new way of doing things in space, but once you've got the hang of that, by by uh, two three weeks four weeks into the the space mission, you've got to be working at a sort of ninety percent flat out intensity on these resistance exercises yeah. in order to get the the um, stimulus that you need to the bone to try to get it to not uh, demineralize, to not atrophy. So um, so the question going back to your question, it's a, a good couple of hours hour and a half of exercise every day most days, and some of that will be very intensive. And some of it will be like, you know, running on a treadmill, less intensive. Um, but they have a fair old amount too. I did enjoy it. How many calories does it take on there? Oh, Christ. Is it allocated? Or is it different for each people? It, it's monitored. I don't remember the, the figures myself. Uh, I didn't, didn't tend to deal with it, the figures of... of uh, it, it's uh, it's monitored. And yeah. they, they, they need to take the right amount of yeah. calories and you're exercising, of course. Yeah. Um, and, but despite that, still the majority uh, of astronauts will come back and their weight will be slightly less, their body weight. So they will have lost some weight yeah. because you do lose muscle 
and, um, and you, but you also you lose fluid as well. You uh, end up a little bit uh, more. I call in the physiological world you call hypo volemic. The body's got less fluid in it than it would normally have. Yeah. How um, when they come back from a mission, mm. do they? You know, like when you come back from a tour, you've got a uh, you have a period of leave, extended well, you have decompression from Afghanistan and that. Yeah. How how does it work for astronauts? When they come back, do they have to go in. Uh, do they have time? Do you have to have um, a specific period of time? You know, back with ESA or NASA or um, Roscosmos or mm. to to go through studies, or can they go straight home? Or how does that work? Well, they, they've got a, a rehabilitation period when they get back because their, their body needs to get back to being strong again. I mean, you, you, you can't have an astronaut jumping in a car and, and driving within those first few days because their neuromotor control's gone. It's not like it was before. So you've got a, a fairly intensive... You've seen walking quite soon after, though. Yeah, but they won't walk in the same way. One of the astronauts, um, our, our only life science astronaut in, um, in the European Astronaut Corps, um, Andre Kuipers, it's got a lovely story where he's been on several missions. Those first few days when he comes back, if, if I'm going to walk around the corner, I will walk around the corner. Um, but he found himself walking around corners like that. <laughs> so the manner in which they move is why, different. Why is that? Because their neuromotor control, their balance is all affected. And, and, and so you're, you're unsteady. Right, yeah. um, I, I was lucky. So when I was at NASA Ames doing my postdoc, I mentioned to you there in yeah. California, with, um, I was lucky to, to, to be able to sit down and listen to an astronaut who literally just a couple of days uh, beforehand come back from space and yeah. give a talk and so we had the, the rows of seats going down the auditorium and there's a gap in the middle you know where someone can walk and he walked from the back of back of the auditorium to the podium and all the way there he had a hand on the seats either side as he walked down because he was unsteady on his feet yeah. so um, you have an intensive Oh, they haven't walked for months, then, have they? They haven't walked for months, have they? Six months. Like they haven't walked for months. Six months. They're not walked. Flat what? out. Full stop, not yeah. walked. So they, they will have done some running on the treadmill by being pulled down onto the yeah, treadmill. Yeah, it's different, isn't but it? But it's different. Even the running right, is different. Of course. Of course. And, and everything in your body God. is, if you don't use it, you lose it. Even your ability to control your limbs is affected. It's You don't use it, you lose it. And so, yeah, so, they, so there's a, a period of, of rehabilitation they have to go through when they get back. And there's, there's a standard 30, 30 to 45 day period, fairly intensive rehabilitation. And um, during that period, usually after about seven, 10 days, they'll be able to drive cars again, but they're still going to have their rehab. But then they also, they also have, it's a space mission, the press, the media, come and um, talk to these people. Oh, cut that ribbon here. And uh, every, they all get it. So in actual fact, for about 12 to 18 months post-mission, that's still a part of the mission. They have an 18-month period before mission, preparing and getting prepped for it, then the mission, then there's an 18-month period afterwards. So a space mission is a good three years for an yeah. astronaut, a six-month mission for an astronaut. Yeah, we see Tim ever heard it. Yeah, and, and, and especially if you're, you know, Tim, so Helen went to space years ago, Helen Sharman, yeah. um, but right now the only British active astronaut uh, in Europe uh, is, is Tim and there are some American British astronauts of course at NASA and so he gets called for all sorts of stuff even now all this time later yeah busy on the space station how do they how do they deal with the lack of exposure to sunlight um, there's uh, ultraviolet there is um, they have vitamin D um, supplements 
Um, the lights are, are, are made in such a way that it, it does help them. Um, having said that, we are very aware that people in space, when they've gone through their space missions, they have vitamin D um, detriments. But then pretty much the whole of modern society is, has, does not have the vitamin D levels that we should have. You know, we are not in a good shape. So astronauts, like everyone else, um, could okay, be better yeah, on that front. Point, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, but they, they get a, a good strong supplement. Well, it's just like another winter, isn't it? Six months. Yeah. 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 Do, 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 do supplements and are supplements enough to compensate for it? I don't think. In general, I'm talking about just in general for people. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, not being a nutritionist per se. Well, because um, you obviously have there's obviously the, the lack of exposure <coughs> to sunlight. There's obviously the um, the impact that other things, the emotional impact that has, as a you know, moods and I mean, there's. there's I'm trying to think of the studies or the reports, and you get the higher. Is there higher rates of depression and suicide in like the general, high, generally higher in, in countries or areas of the world that mm. experience less ex, less sunlight throughout the year and others? You know, like, mm. like parts of Alaska. Sads. 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 That's it. Seasonal adaptation deficit or disorder. Syndrome. Syndrome. Yeah. Probably right there somewhere. <laughs> well, here's an interesting interesting anecdote. So um, one of the analogues, one of the sort of uh, simulations used for space missions mm -hmm. is um, overwintering in, Ant over in Antarctica. Oh. Uh, and and we, there's a base down there that's used a lot by the European Space Agency. Right. Um, um, so one of the recent, and there's always a dock down there when they have these overwinters, and one of the recent docks down there was a brick called Beth, mm -hmm. and and I think it was Beth, it might have been someone else, but I think it was Beth telling me that the so you've got a, a number of subjects there doing the as subjects for the experiments. You've got a number of individuals there who are who are scientists doing the experiments. So you've got this this group of I don't know what it is, ten, twelve, fifteen people, mm -hmm. and it's all white, of course, and they are there over winter. No one can get to them. They cannot get out. So it's right. like a space mission. It's isolation. Ah. Um, and she was saying, so w one of the uh, experiments was growing some greenery, looking at how you grow under, under extreme circumstances in a little greenhouse thing. You could sort of wipe away the ice and see the plants inside. Like the Martian. Uh, like yeah, the yeah. Martian. But that's what <laughs> most of them did. They would every now and then just go and look at the green. Oh, ah. Just look at the green. Something different. It's it's home. It's it's. Yeah. I think it's something intrinsic in us. When I came back from uh, when I came to back keep from them Iraq. healthy mentally. Yeah, 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 absolutely. When I came back from Iraq, um, now you get green in Iraq. I think it was Iraq. Or was it Afghan? One of the two, anyway. It was somewhere I'd been, and I'd been very little exposure to green, like greenery, trees, or uh, yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, must or yeah, very little exposure to it. Mm. I remember coming, I get off, got off the, got off the plane at Brighton, yeah, jumped yeah. in the coach, and I, and I, in the coach, I just sat up, stand out the window, and that was, I remember it, I specifically remember it, thinking, oh my god, it's amazing, and it was the green, it was the trees, it was the trees, it was the grass, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. I've probably missing for the last six months. <laughs> you don't realise, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's I, amazing. I, I believe, and I believe it's the case that it has a mentally important positive effect on us. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah that's what they were doing so uh, going back to your what was the point now it was to do with um, a seasonal affective disorder wasn't it and, and yeah. light and all like there's certain things I think that we need to keep us 
happy mentally. But it's little minor changes you don't realise. Like for example, like going on a tangent. Um, something I learned years ago. I read it somewhere, and then you think, oh yeah, uh, is um, taste. You, the 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 palate you get more of a you get more stimulus from a change in texture of the food you're eating than a change in taste. Really? So yes, apparently <coughs> so. And like I'm I I don't know maybe if I clearly remember I I, I inclined to agree with that. But I read it yeah yeah. yeah. So a change in texture is better than a change in taste. Huh. So. Huh. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Your taste changes in space, you know. Hmm? Your taste changes in space. Why is that? Um, it's probably because of the movement of fluids and blood to the upper body. Mm-hmm. Take away gravity. We, right now, we've got a lot of blood in our lower body because of gravity. Take that away and it moves up, the fluids move up. You end up with a congested face and your nose is a bit congested, like hanging upside down. So your, your tongue becomes a bit engorged and then the blood vessels. And so I think that affects your taste. But certainly their taste does change. Does your cognitive ability improve because you've got you the, the body's out of the force the blood up to the brain there's no gravity it's sort of a general your body your blood's evenly distributed your heart must relax your heart must chill out for six months <laughs> it, it's it's quite it's a bit more complex than you'd think there's a thing called <laughs> I didn't think it was complex uh, <laughs> there is actually there's a thing called I think they call it space fog or something like that the astronauts I, didn't think sim- I should say I didn't think it was simple so. no, right. well I, I was there's a it, you're right and you're wrong there's, it's quite yeah. complex but there's a thing called space fog I think it's, that's the term that, that astronauts have used where for a period of time when they first got there things feel a bit woolly a little bit sort of not quite crisp and clear right. and I think it's to do with this congestion yeah. that, that's is that a vision thing? Or? Uh, no it's more of a, more of a mental thing okay. um, and, and, I, and you know I think we probably all feel that when we have a bad cold we're all congested we do feel a bit like out of it mm. not quite almost a bit detached yeah. so I think this is something that dashboards do feel mm. um, and I, I, I'm not sure whether that stays I think it probably goes certainly that there's effective up there so it's not something that's affecting their abilities yeah. but it's, it's more like a feeling and, uh, and then the, on the taste side it's um, they want stronger sharper spicier tastes and foods oh really that's what they want that's what they need when they're up there and so they have a lot of sauces and the like do their tasks um, in the first couple of days when they're up there or first sort of the, the early period of time maybe the hours or while they're while they're uh, acclimatising do other other tasks deliberately kept simpler so the intensity of task and what they're required to do research because um, I'm imagining the majority of the time they're up there they're not doing fitness right and I'm guessing it's allocated rest time in the day they've got their, their night time sleep they must yeah. get that and then outside of that it's they're doing their job which is predominantly medical research at the minute would it be? well science it's science not okay. necessarily medical but it's all sorts of different science that they're doing lots of research lots of their experiments and and maintaining this super complex beast that they're living yeah. in yeah. so which is called housekeeping it's not quite doing the hoovering but it's keeping it all going um, how is the research split between the different nations is it split between different nations uh, it, to, yes uh, an astronaut will, will have his or her science complement which is established before they go up to mission on their mission you know, what research are you going to do Here, here's so I know when let's say there's 50 experiments that various researchers would like an astronaut to do the astronaut is exposed beforehand to all of the details of those experiments and he can decide to do an experiment or not. 
so yeah. he signs up to an experiment or not um, he's done the astronaut the astronaut yeah, yeah. Oh, really? like any experiment any subject has the choice to do it or not and, and it's very rare that they would say no but they're absolutely at liberty to do so so between what is proposed and what they choose you end up with uh, and I don't know what it might be 50 60 experiments that are asked that astronaut will do over the course of their space mission yeah. and the majority of their working day let's say it's a 7 hour working day it might be 4 hours on yeah. science 5 hours on science um, couple <laughs> someone having a shower couple two <laughs> seconds <laughs> Yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be a good chunk of that which will be them doing the science. There'll be a small portion of that which will, which will be the housekeeping, looking after the, the, the yeah. space, space station, and then a chunk which is the exercise side, and then a little bit for meals and, and a little bit for gathering with the crew and sleep. Do they have weekends off? They have the Saturday and Sunday, and they're off. The Saturday. How is Saturday and Sunday? There is a Saturday and <laughs> a Sunday. They tend to have the Sunday off. It tends to be that they do a thing called Saturday Science on some or all of Saturday. <coughs> it's optional, so it's often Saturday a, Science. Saturday Science. It's it's often um, school related. I'll do a school would like this, and a school would like that, and, and they just opt to do a bit out of the goodness of their yeah. hearts. And it's become a bit, bit of a regular thing now. Yeah. So their weekends pretty much a day where they'll have some time off. Yeah. So it's like a scientists, astronauts. Um, uh, religious day <laughs> science, science yeah. Saturday so what's it called Saturday when you were a kid and you used to have to go to Sunday, Sunday school, school. Yeah. Sunday school I remember that Yeah, Sa- Saturday science, science Saturday yeah. I'm going to have that science mm-hmm. Saturday that's it I'm going to have Sunday school <coughs> I like that I like that um, <clears throat> have I finished the question yet your first question I think we've got there now haven't we I can't remember I can't remember that <laughs> I wasn't expecting this a lot. Um, <clears throat> when, as part of the um, mental assessments and, men- and tests and that for the astronaut selection criteria, mm. does religion play a part? Hmm. I don't think so. I, I, I've n- it's never so I've never been directly involved but Wiley is very involved as a company and I've been at the European Astronaut Center for 10, what, 10 years so I've never come across someone mentioning religion in any aspect of the selection hmm. so I, I would imagine no I imagine you are what you are and, uh, and that's fine and you crack on I wonder how many astronauts cosmonauts Taikonauts views have changed uh, as a result between of going up and going back yeah I think quite a few yeah, there's yeah. A, a number of the Apollo, so the moonwalkers, um, got religion post. Yeah. I've always been um, I've always considered myself an atheist. Mm-hmm. Not well, not always until I was able to realize, you know, sort of despite decide myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, you know, um, the Big Bang theory, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not a god. Great program with this. <laughs> Uh, it's not a god it's this and that but I'm now 
I just I can't decide I mm. because well you got the big bang mm. right and I believe in the big bang. I believe in the big bang mm. what started it mm. right what started it um, what started what started that yeah. what started what started that that's right it's just it's, it's so just it, head, right? I, I think it's just too yeah. flipping big to yeah. even it's just too big to even comprehend I can't answer so if you, like now if you say is there a god is there not I'd be like no idea well I, I can't I don't know either way and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna commit myself to either one it's yeah. strange it's only literally last sort of year I've been yeah. I thought mm. well, my, my brother uh, my elder brother, he, he's he's very religious. He's a he, he was a pastor for a while. He's studying he's studying theology, um, so he's the religious guy, and I'm the scientist. And, and we often have many debates and talks about this sort. You of thing. get religious scientists? Uh, yeah, yeah, true, true, mm-hmm. true. I'm, you know, somewhat of of an atheist, stroke agnostic, and I'll explain why in a second. Scientist. Yeah. Um, what I think is that. I believe there's something far bigger and greater than we can even comprehend at the moment because we just haven't learned enough about the universe. Yeah. I don't believe it's an entity. I don't believe it's a being, personally. Uh, but I believe there's something. And whether you would call that having religion, I don't know. Possibly not. But, mm. but uh, it, 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 it's sort of that something would probably explain a great deal of why are we here and what are we here and what's what it's all about mm. and uh, that, so it's leaning a little bit maybe towards what you're saying no I, where I, you start I, to feel I, I, something yeah I think <coughs> I, I, I mean I'm on I'm singing from the same song she, I don't I I don't think there's a thing a being or a person or a a living thing mm. I don't think I but it's flipping something. It's just, it's just it's, it's, and it's got, it's got to be that massive. For, for, look how big the universe is. Look how big the universe is, right? Yeah. And that was created from less than a pinprick in the Big, in the big Bang. Mm. So something pretty big must have been created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> must have created that. Mm. But then to think that we're influenced now by, you know, we're doing gods. But I don't understand. Mm. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't make that. But, but then, but then, ooh, ooh, I've, I, I think I think being in space does have an effect on people. I mean, there's plenty of people who got religion or had a change of perspective. Well, this is the overview effect again, isn't it? As a result of being up there. Yeah. And I, as a part of Blue Abyss, and yourself, I'm hoping and intending to go to space one day before before I die. As a result. Yeah, I. Yes, that's my intention. The girlfriend isn't that happy about it. <laughs> She went, I said, we're going to the moon, we're going to the moon, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my name down, we're going to the moon. <laughs> and she said, you're going on your own. Uh, I'll wave out the <laughs> rocket when I go. No. I'm not going on a rocket, it's too dangerous. Well, the, 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 um, so as commercial human spaceflight hits us, as it starts in, in these next couple of years, which is, it's going to be, um, you know, those first customers, they're the guys who are taking the risk. They're the, they're the guys. We, we, we can't afford it. Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. There will be an, a catastrophe or two, just like with aviation in the early days. Ah, w- when it comes to when it comes to Matt, touch wood, man, right? when, but when it comes to yeah, I think when it comes to when it comes to the point that we we have to change the vehicles radically, or we do change the vehicles to radically to what they are now to accommodate more people because it become a, it is a commercial enterprise and because the more people on one ship ship the more people on one vehicle well the more money that vehicle's making that company's making they'll do it they'll yeah. it so when you start changing it and now and then we've got not you know we've not got experience in in 
um, vehicles are going to space as we have now mm. that because then there'll be a new type of bigger type of vehicles right. maybe with a new propulsion system yeah. maybe with this maybe with all that. Right. All of that all that's of that. what the drama will come it, it'll happen it'll happen oh. we can't yeah. we can't avoid it well look at when we went to you know planes were built you know planes were invented by what the white they flew the first successful flight across the Atlantic the white ones right or first successful plane powered 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 like the white ones right yeah and then you know and then I imagine that as we developed commercial um, commercial flights and yeah, and the planes were big enough. Some horrendous disasters. Horrendous. Mm. Well, the star now. <laughs> I love the, the pho- I love the photographs of. I, I guess it's probably nineteen twenties. You've got these somewhat larger aircraft now, so they're fitting in twenty, thirty people, and they've got wicker chairs in, in you know in, in the aircraft. They're sitting oh, on really? little tables <laughs> with wicker chairs. Your <laughs> <laughs> express or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. You have some turbulence. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like it's like the old school buses. Side benches. I mean, they'll sit side to side, no seat, but I think flipping heck, mental. Yeah. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing about it, I wonder. Would you think it'll be in two years' time? Two years' time, do you reckon, of the first client grew up? Well, we, so what I was referring to there is so um, NASA have contracted SpaceX and Boeing um, to. Um, launch their astronauts and, and, and take them to the space station yeah. and that contract needs to be fulfilled 2019 now it might slip a bit and maybe there'll be some fines but it can't slip what, too you have to start doing it they need to start flying NASA astronauts that's, that's, that's my understanding uh, if I remember right 2019 so it's literally the next year or two it may slip but there's probably going to be fines so a commercial company is not going to allow it to slip too much and so I'm not talking Virgin Galactic and we still don't know really when that's going to happen should be soon, but that's suborbital. I'm talking orbital. It's not into space, though, is it? Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, so it's, it's not, uh, touching the edge of space. It's not into space, is it? It's yeah. into whatever that's. Tell me, so we, we, if you know, do you know what the different spheres are? Uh, well, not the spheres, but the key point is the Kármán line. Yeah, they're going to touch the edge of the Kármán line. The Kármán line is where, if you've got a, a vehicle, an aircraft, if you like. And it's above the common line. Aerodynamics don't work. You can't fly the vehicle because the air density is so because of the atmosphere. Yes, the, the air atmosphere density. Is like, yeah. So it has to be a space rocket, if you like. It has to be a space vehicle. So that that's that point where you know where is space. I, I would say the common line is a sensible place to say that space. So they'll touch does that. Galactic got a common line. I believe so. Seven and a half minute flight. Is that correct? Uh, with about four minutes of weightlessness no it's, it's several hours the overall oh, flight the overall mission get oh, up there and back down again oh. uh, there may be some profiles talking about six or seven minutes of weightlessness yeah. the last I heard it was four or five but in, in that region yeah it's a number of minutes of weightlessness yeah. over the course of a couple of hours mission yeah, yeah. but I, I'm excited by the fact that we're going to have commercial companies SpaceX and Boeing first there are others coming along that are going to fly people, paying passengers, into orbit. That's that's a huge thing. That's a massive breakthrough. That is, and put them in space proper. So, in many respects, it, it, it's a, yeah, a yeah, it is exciting. But it's it's um, and it it comes back to what you and I know and what John touched on before. I don't want us to be like a sale, like a salesy commercial thing, you know, because we what's the other invested in blue it's a professional emotion, emotional investment yes I love it just couldn't I wouldn't couldn't think of working anywhere else but it, it's the 
do you think it's going to take a catastrophe before they realise that the whatever training they're yeah. planning on doing for yeah. the astronauts going up these right. commercial paying clientele going up yeah. that will take a, a major problem well the first few with SpaceX and Boeing are going to be government astronauts so they're all well trained ah, ah. but they will be able to but what about this billionaire that um, Tus- uh, yeah. Tusk uh, Musk has got on yeah good example oh, they, they, they will be able to fly people who aren't government astronauts but Musk will pay for him to be trained surely 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 but with, with I mean pay for it with NASA or something like that wouldn't it? well we don't know the finer details at the moment but, but your, your question about uh, you know the training side of things so I mean we, there's two things yes catastrophes happen and everyone goes ah the training needs to be here not down here because of the catastrophes or and this is we are going to be moving in this direction remember with, with Blue Business and a number of other companies we, we have a number of interested parties that get together and say we believe this is what is required mm. and then now let's delve into this I'm talking about um, commercial and public you know, government bodies coming together and working out what is the safe minimum we'll be a part of that it might take two three years to get to that point where we can see this is now the agreed certified safe minimum internationally that's what everyone should adhere to so there's, there's, there's two things two ways of yeah I just I was just thinking there it's, it, I was, I'm gonna go I'm gonna co- contradict myself there it's, it, like, like we were saying it's gonna happen it'll happen but even even if like the need for it wasn't realised and there's a genuine need yeah, yeah genuine need for that training and um, and there's going to have to be some vetting of you can't just, at this moment in time you can't send anyone up not with the current way we're getting space with all the G-force involved but saying earlier the launch the launch is horrendous the landing is horrendous you know without a shuttle yeah um, but purely based on the fact that the movers and shakers, money movers and shakers at the top, will realise actually that's a whole money making industry is money being made from it. No, because Blue Abyss being the first, yeah, the first commercial astronaut training centre, um, we're, we're, you know, we're proving it. We're proving it. Yeah. Even just what's been achieved now, it's being proven. So I think, yeah, we come on. But I, I'm just sceptical as to whether Musk can get that guy up as quick as he says. Yeah, well, let's see. I hope he does. Yeah, it'd be I nice. I'd like to see it happen. And I'd yeah. like for us to be in help with the training. But if not, whoever does the training, it'd be nice to see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Within the next few years. As mm-hmm. opposed to, within the next few years, as opposed to always being rolled back and back yeah. and back and back, yeah. which would be a shame. Yeah. <coughs> well, I've got to wrap this up. Oh, my mm. bladder's going to pop. Good <laughs> mm. <laughs> old man bladder. Um, <laughs> anything you want to mention? Anything I'd plug? Anything? Yeah. Shameless, shameless plugs now. You know what my shameless plug is? I want to plug my, my dear family, my wife and kids, and all my immediate family because you've been there for the last few years. I'm here. We've, got a, we've had a, a, a number of years of really working hard to try and get what we're trying to do. And I've gone back to Blue Abyss again. I apologise for that off the ground. So I want to thank them for being there all through. Other than uh, being there. Yeah. But uh, no, otherwise I'm, yeah, I've enjoyed this last hour and whatever it is. Hour and hour fifteen, hour and twenty. Hour yeah, 15. lovely. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, pleasure Thank you very much, Simon. Do that again, buddy. Yeah. Oh my God, you're a cop. <laughs>
Simon Evans. Hope you enjoyed that. People, that is it. Don't forget, Westby Nissan got a flash sale on uh, at the time of this recording, 29th September. Uh, they've got sales on all the time, man. Anyway, so if you listen to this, it's gone past the 29th September. Get on to Westby Nissan, the code UK. You're going to a branch and check out what's going down. Awesome models of cars. You can get models of Nissan at Westway Nissan that you can't get anywhere else. They have exclusive deals with Nissan. They get certain models and certain features that you can't get anywhere else in the country. So go on to westwaynissan.co.uk. Also, remember 429 Group, veteran-owned, veteran-operated security services, medical services, health and safety services, first aid supplies, 429.group. Ooh, there's something else I was going to mention. Leavers Link. There's been two events this month with Leavers Link, um, which is superb. Free networking events to service Leavers. They connect civvies, business owners, knowledgeable people, successful ex-military with people who are getting out or have just gotten out. I'm not sure what they want to do in Civvy Street. Need a bit of help, advice and guidance. Leavers Link connects you all together. It's a really informal event, but can produce some fantastic, does produce fantastic results. Leverslink.co.uk for information. Next month is only going to be one event. Um, it's going to be in Colchester, and that'll be on the third Tuesday of the month. Uh, forgive me, I haven't got that actual date to hand. It's the third Tuesday of the month next month. Also, another thank you to my Patreon supporters. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the update I gave the other week. I've been failing to give you updates as to where and how you are supporting people through this podcast, but um, I hope I hope I hope uh, I explained it well. God, I am flipping waffling, yeah. I made another donation. I say I made the podcast, made another, another donation actually on, on, um, on behalf of you guys. And that was to, uh, rock to recovery. So, um, some good things going on in the background. And I'm glad that the podcast can support financially and in other ways, uh, military veterans, their interests, their organiza- organizations and civilians who support the military. Until the next time, that's the end of the waffle. Out.